Before we start the show, I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who's bought my new YA book, Malraux and the Midnight Organ Fight. It's a young adult novel about two teen detectives trying to solve a series of grisly murders one summer in San Francisco. <laughs> you know, teen stuff. Uh, Jezebel from Brooklyn wrote me a lovely note about the book, and it goes like this. Dear Alex, I bought your new book from my local indie bookstore, and I read the entire thing in my car. Do you think that's weird? Anyways, I loved it so much. Please write a sequel. Oh, Jezebel, thank you. Uh, I am working on a sequel. And no, I don't think it's weird to read a book in your car. Although you didn't say if the car was in motion. Um, but that still wouldn't be weird. That would just be dangerous. Feel free, everyone, to read my book in your car as long as it's parked. There's today's public service announcement. Just doing my part to keep everyone safe. I'm Alex Green. And this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. He was a running spring The fresh hopes You wanted to marry him then You wanna start living again If I could I'd put some blue sky Mildly, that is the breathtaking music of The Apartments, a band which features my guest today on the program, Peter Milton Walsh. Let me tell you a little bit about The Apartments and Peter Milton Walsh. Well, I have to say, I don't really know where to begin. The music of Peter Milton Walsh is so unreasonably brilliant, any introduction falls short in conveying the sheer genius of his body of work. Redolent with love, grief, beauty, and heartbreak, the music of The Apartments is practically peerless. The Brisbane-born singer-songwriter got The Apartments going in 1979, and though the first incarnation didn't last very long, Walsh found work in the interim, playing guitar in The Go-Betweens and bass in Ed Cooper's Laughing Clowns. He got The Apartments going again in 1984, and since then, the band, with Walsh as the one constant member, have put out nine perfect albums. This is not journalistic hyperbole. Every album is a stone-cold stunner. And, of course, that includes the band's spellbinding new effort, In and Out of the Light. Along the way, the band has toured with everything but the girl. They've had their songs covered by everyone from This Mortal Coil to Ed Cooper himself. They've established a fervent French following, touring France extensively. And on New Year's Day in 2016... The Apartments headlined the Andy Warhol exhibition at the National Gallery of Victoria. 
Praised by everyone from the NME to Justin Curry of Delamitri, the apartment's oeuvre is resplendent in its gorgeous gloom, its woebegone balladry, and its unique brand of utterly crushing chamber pop. The compositions are soaked in memory, heartache, and nostalgia, and with poetic precision, Walsh gently guides you into the darkest warrens of the human heart, and he gently guides you right back out. In many ways, he's the Virgil of songwriting, effortlessly guiding you through hellish waters and returning you in the end to solid ground. There's a bit of magic in everything, Lou Reed once said, and some loss to even things out. Well, that perfectly captures the work of the apartments. And in spite of the emotional weight of his songbook, Walsh is a lovely and cheerful guy. And I really enjoyed this conversation, and I think you will too. This is me and Peter Milton Walsh of The Apartments having a chat right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. We've got a resurgence, um, and yeah, and and we had hard lockdown, and you know, uh, really uh, a national leadership that took it seriously. So we had a very different sort of situation to the states and the UK, but it's still we're still in lots of trouble, and I, we had to cancel our European tour twice. We had a September one. Um, which you know naturally that was that was cancelled pretty much once once all this hit. But then we rescheduled for uh, February March and you know had some really good shows. And then the Australian government said uh, Australians can't leave the country, <laughs> <laughs> which is you know pretty amazing. <laughs> uh, and yeah, so we're not allowed to leave until until March and uh, yeah yeah it's just it's it's nuts I know I know the whole world is nuts but um, yeah <laughs> how does that affect your psyche because for the first few months of the quarantine musicians I talked to were you know saying hey I'm getting a lot done but by the fourth month the fifth month I could see there was a lot of worry setting in look I do think for me it's it's uh, it, and like sort of, I think my classic survival technique is to uh, look at what is working for me compared to, you know, uh, people who are in a lot of trouble. Like, you know, uh, I'm not a hospital worker or a retail worker, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not exposed to that danger all the time. I'm not broke. Um, my wife works from home and there's a room that she can use. So, you know, all these things that are really like uh, have demolished other people's lives have not affected mine. The only thing that's gotten into trouble is that I can't tour. Well, you know, I just think that's a, a class of minor tribulations compared to all those things that I could have been hit by, like so many other people have been. You know, like the just the vast uncertainty of not uh, knowing you had a job, and you know, all that's just yeah. You know, so many people are in so much trouble. So that's sort of how I I look at it. I do 
really. You, <laughs> you, I am counting my blessings, um, absolutely. Um, um, and yes, uh, you know, because the isolation thing didn't bother me um, too much. It did feel a bit bizarre, <laughs> you know, walking walking down the street and having to treat people as though they were radioactive, you know, which was like my the first move, you know, like and and uh, you know, there initially <clears throat> with regard to masks um, in Australia, the, the the thinking was that masks aren't effective but you know the advice was that if you felt that you were infected wear a mask and um, the place nearby us which is uh, a, a very strong um, Chinese Asian community the shopping center there you know they've got all great food so you know we'll we'll go there <laughs> and we went there and everybody was wearing a mask and I just thought oh my god what's going on here you know like <laughs> am I have I just entered this inferno of infection you know but of course it was just that was cultural rather than uh, epidemiological it was uh, it was just that 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 happened to be you know a response from a particular culture that um, we'll, we're, we're just going to get into masks anyway. Um, so it was, yeah, it was strange and it was that whole thing about, you know, you walk down the street, you must be, you know, six feet from people, you know, that you have to get off the footpath for some people and all that sort of stuff. So that was weird. But, you know, I've grown accustomed to to all that and um, and as I say, you know, I'm not starving and, you know, and I'm not in danger. So, you know, um, there's just so much more to be thankful for than to um, regret. Um, and, you know, yeah, I will do a bit more. Yeah, I, I just finished an album, so I'm going to start another one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, why not? Well, you know, like normally you have those excuses, you know, oh, I'm out on the road, you know, I can't ride on the road, uh, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, so I, 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 I will. And also, because it was quite interesting for me, like working on this album, I went into it. Um, are we on now, by the way? <laughs> oh, we've been on for a while, Peter. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're just gonna delete. All, I hope you're gonna delete all my epidemiology. No, that, that's actually why I called you. <laughs> yes, Doctor Walsh is in. Um, uh, yeah, so you know when I when I did this album, I went. I, I was going to do it with Antoine, who is um, uh, a guy. He, 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 I've played with him for about 10 years. He's French. He lives two hours south of Paris. He's got a studio. He's a musician, blah, blah, blah. And um, I had planned to go to his place last September and his studio and just, okay, go bang, you know, two weeks. And then I was going to Berlin to mix it with Victor Van Voot, who worked on the first Apartments album and has, his, has a, a studio in Berlin. And, you know, we'd lined all that up. And then, you know, everyone, uh, because my drummer is in England and Natasha, who uh, plays keyboards and sings and is also in the apartments, she lives in Lille on the Belgian border. You know, so they were all wanting to hear some demos. And, uh, and I thought, okay, well, you know, if you want to hear, so, so they can work out what they're going to do. 
because we're obviously not going to be in, oh, at at that stage. You know, they wanted to prep. Um, anyway, you know, so I did one or two demos, and I thought, you know, I really don't like doing demos um, because to me, and you know, I realise I'm an un unreconstructed. You know, I've been doing this for such a long time. For me, demos are there they are, you're in the moment and you've got it, that's it. And then when you go to record, you're trying to reach back into that that almost perfect past of the demo and try and get it. And, and I thought, I don't want to do demos. So then I found a guy that lived nearby me who had a studio and I thought, um, Okay, well, I'm going to try it a different way. So this time, I went to see him, uh, and I, I gave him some demos. And I also went to his studio, and I just sat down and I played a track uh, that's on the album. I don't give a fuck about you anymore. And I said, look, I really don't know if this is a song or not, but it feels like a song to me. And uh, anyway, I finished, and I, I was just sitting there with an acoustic guitar. And the studio felt good. It's a very small studio, but it felt really good, and it was near my place. And, and he said, "Oh, that's absolutely a song." You know, <laughs> he said, "Do you want to put it down now?" And I said, "Yeah, why don't we?" So I just had this whole different way of doing it. And then I thought, "Okay, well, that's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to do the album in this way." I'll just go in and do something from scratch, and then you know when I've when I've worked it out and and I'm living the song as it's being created, sort of thing, which is how I like to work. Um, then I can send it out to the other people who are in England and France, and you know they can do their bits and stuff like that. So, you know, I when I recorded No Song No Spell No Madrigal, I worked with uh, Wayne Connolly, who was a you know really um, Lovely man, great producer, great musician, but he's he's one of these sort of um, do a vocal, do another vocal. Oh, that was that was perfect. Uh, can you just do one more, and you know you're always going. Well, if it's perfect, why am I doing one more? Anyway, you know. So, uh, but he had told me that's what he was like, and he said I think you should try that. No, you know, and I know you know people like lots of lots of brilliant people do loads of takes, but I've never done loads of takes. I've always been like first or second take, and if it's not there, okay, well, move on, you know, um, cut your losses or your hopes, move on, you know, do something else. Um, so with that album, um, I had some stuff that I hadn't finished, like the title track I hadn't finished, but I had sort of played it with the bass and drums, um, the, the guys that played bass and drums on the album. So, you know, we did, we worked that album in the way that you would normally do an album. And, you know, traditionally you go in and you get your bass and drums down and then everything else comes afterwards. And so I did that with that track, but I hadn't really finished the track and I had no idea what I was going to do with the track either and you know it's moving along and I'm adding guitar parts and um, you know some uh, vocal lines and stuff like that and Wayne said to me you know we're getting close to the time we have to mix everything you know we haven't done a lead vocal for this and, and I said you know just relax you know I know it, you know it starts out in the rain it ends in the rain something happens to the guy over the course of the song you know it'll be fine 
And then I realised, you know, and then we did it, and I realised I really liked working that way. You know, it was like the song was coming alive as I was as I was making it. And I know possibly, you know, uh, people in the past, maybe in the 60s, used to do that, you know, like, uh, you know, the Stones, Dylan, they'd go into a studio and they really don't know what they're doing and they've got budgets. <laughs> and, and they can and they can just, you know, hang out in the studio and try things out with, and then, you know, if it's come alive, it's come alive and, okay, then it goes down. And I've never been able to do that. I've always had to work out stuff in advance and, you know, work it out with the band and and then, you know, not know what it's like to discover something, um, you know, in the course of the the writing almost and, and the putting it down. So, um, yeah, it was... It was it, uh, that's how, how I ended up making this album, you know, and it was almost like the songs were coming out of wonder and coming out of the moment rather than me knowing what was coming next um, because traditionally I would write everything you know and I've got the horn lines worked out and the strings and blah 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 and this time I just thought okay I've got these melodies and I've got these lyrics I'm just going to see what might might help those bits along and they'll be the they'll be the stones that the that the song comes from the, the 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 foundation of the song will be the the lyrics and the, and the top the melodies and you know some guitar parts and stuff like that but that's where it's going to rise from whereas normally it would rise from the bass and the drums and that that's there and and everything is built upon that and I didn't want anything being determined by that feel that had already been locked down by the bass and the drums. I wanted everything to just rise up almost from whatever the melody and the, the lyrics sort of suggested. So it was like a completely different way of working for me um, and, and I really liked it. Also, it was very strange because, um, you know, traditionally um, you would also do long days and um, and the guy that I was working with, his kids are at school, uh, so, you know, we'd get in around 10 or 11 or something like that and about 3 or 4 he'd say, uh, we have to wind up now, you know, I'm picking up the kids and, you know, so we're doing 4 or 5 hours a couple of days a week, it was like very low key, um, it didn't have that whole okay, let's go through till 2 a.m. Um, and drive it in that way. So it had a completely different feel for me. And it also meant that I was, because I was, he, he also had lots of bookings, so I was only able to work with him a couple of days a week. So it, it took quite a long time, but it was all, it all felt fresh all the time to me, which, um, which was good. It was like a, a new way of working, um, and and yeah, and I liked it. <laughs> With this new way of doing things, do you feel? I mean, it's a little much to say the sky's the limit, but do you feel a kind of limitlessness now with all of the possibilities that are presented to you? Yeah, yeah, um, and you know, it does. It does depend on you know working with certain people. Like I, I you know, I happen to be very lucky that. You know, I liked 
the guy with whom I was working, and he's got a very small, you know, inexpensive uh, studio, and it's near my place. So there were all these things that um, that that made it made it work. But yeah, for me, it was it was a real um, it was a leap into the dark because I could have gone to France and just done you know three weeks, bang, 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 and then over to Berlin and let's mix. And at one stage, I had been thinking, oh, I'll record here and I'll still mix it with Victor in Berlin. But then, you know, I realised that the whole organic way that it came about, the only person who could possibly know what was going on <laughs> was Tim. <laughs> Tim, the producer. <laughs> because I'm very, I'm very chaotic. I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, there's a particular discipline that producers have and a particular like they have they've got phenomenal focus and organization um, and that was really helpful for me too because I tend to be you know sort of spur of the moment and say come on let's do let's do this <laughs> right right <laughs> but you know if there was and he was very responsive to that and you know and I could pl I could run things past him and say Look, does this seem ridiculous? And and you know, um, more times than not, he'd say, "No, it's not ridiculous. It's it's great. It's going to work." You know, so yeah, it was it was good. Yeah, so it was quite liberating in 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 that way. You know, it's really interesting that you that you mentioned the '60s because a lot of those bands that I think you and I both loved in that era, they were cranking out record after record in you know six seven months. Do you feel now that that the process um, will make you, you know, more prolific in that regard? I wish I had that kind of um, productivity, but I tend to be. I mean, I was. I, I. This was a very productive time because, you know, essentially, I, I, I was just making things up as we were going along, and then I would go in, and I'd try something out um, with with Tim and, you know, I'd say, you know, I don't know if this is going in the right direction or not, you know, but it, it feels like it's there and, um, you know, that's how we would, how, how we were recording and sometimes I'd record, record stuff and it'd be like 10 minutes long and and I really had no idea what I was going, how I was going to shape it and then I'd go away, you know, because we had some time off and I've got a room at the back of my house, and I'd come down, come down here, put put it on the speakers, the stuff that we'd recorded, and then I'd just sort of, you know, pace up and down like Billy Wilder with a riding crop, and go, "That's rubbish, you know, that's that's got to go, kill that." And and then I'd I'd also have like some great moments, like a, there was a track we had where you used to be, um, which is essentially three chords, you know, and and um, and I had this part which felt like it was a chorus thing, but I didn't really, I hadn't finished that. And then, you know, I'm just pacing up and down here and I, and I just got it immediately, um, in, in that moment. And then, you know, and then we go and, uh, record it the next time I see him. So yeah, it was, it was, it was good. But yeah, those, those, those people like the, you know, the, Dylan and 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 the Stones, you know, 
there's also that thing about you know you're 23 or 24, you're single, and <laughs> and and the the life that you're living is almost like um, uh, it's it's wrong to <laughs> the wrong word is the wrong word is monastic, but it's monastic in its in its devotion to the to the craft and the life of you know, being a songwriter sort of thing. It's sort of like, this is what I will do. There's nothing, there's no other relationship in the world that matters to me so much as this. And, you know, I'm not 23 anymore and I've got a lot more <laughs> things going on in my life. Uh, so, you know, I, but I don't know if I would ever have been that kind of productive person. I mean, I, I, I saw a, an interview one time with um, with Jagger and, and he, and he was actually asked about that period, you know, because and it was like Scott Walker as well, you know, the four albums in two years, you know, it's just, it's just, you're just going, my God, you know, this is just insane, you know, and they've, and they've four like phenomenal albums and Dylan as well, you know, and, um, and, uh, and someone says, um, like, you know, a song like Painted Black, you know, had, had, you know, how did that come together? And, you know, Jagger says, oh, look, I, yeah, no, I do remember that because Andrew was leaning on us and we had, I had 15 minutes to write the lyrics. And you know, <laughs> I was just thinking, you know, this is a deadline as a creative tool. This is, <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, whereas, you know, I tend to, I've, I've just seemed to have drifted a lot more than, than, than that. And, you know, there's a there's a kind of price to pay. There's a kind of price to pay. But you know, in some ways, I I, I also think you know I'm very I'm very lucky because you know there's no there's like there's no songwriting genes in my family. You know, my grandfather, you know, who happened to be a Milton as well, Thomas Milton. He was a train driver, and my my father. Um, Jack Milton was he was a truck driver, you know, so I've got the blood of truck and train drivers coursing through my veins, but I don't have any I should not be doing this, you know. <laughs> and I remember, you know, my dad is dead now, but you know, when he was alive, you know, he would broach the subject. You know, I wouldn't see them that often either because I you know, they lived in Brisbane, which is a town I left in my early twenties and I never went back. But he um you know, about once every five or ten years, he'd say, you know, uh, you know, it's a, the entertainment business. It's a very hard game. Look at young Frankie Sinatra. You know, like that was his point of reference. You know, it was just like <laughs> he had absolutely no idea what I was doing. You know, like. <laughs> and, That's a very strange example because you know it worked out pretty well for Frank Sinatra. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. But my dad's angle was, oh, look at young Frank Sinatra. There were many years of struggle. <laughs> yeah, well, look, when you put it that way, Dad, you're probably right. <laughs> and, you know, he, but he would, he just couldn't, he just had no idea what, you know, what I was doing. And, you know, that's understandable because, uh, you know, Dad left school at 12, you know, never read a book in his life. So he's a very different character. To me, in my life, it was like a complete. It was a, it was just incomprehensible to him, you know. <laughs> and he, you know, and he also had this sort of like, you know, well, you know, what are you going to do when the bubble bursts? And you know, like when you're 23 or 24, you just you're saying, well, I'll blow another bubble, you know, like, 
<laughs> Don't worry. Exactly. Blow another one. <laughs> Dad, it's going to be fine. <laughs> You know, I never thought about the bubble bursting until I turned 50. And then I was like, oh, that's what that means. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I ran out of bubbles a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm fresh out. Uh, but, you know, I have a theory. And my theory is that sort of that youthful burst of creative energy is – somehow connected to libido i think that the productivity of young artists is directly linked um you know to endless and uh tireless uh sexual drive i don't know i don't know how you feel about that it's kind of a crazy theory what do you think it's look there's there's probably a, a theory around that and you know like but also, I think like ambition helps as well. I think um, you know, I think, uh, and you know, they're just all the right circumstances um, too. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's in, it's that whole like let's let's just write every single day. I've never had that discipline either, you know. And I really love like old school. Um, songwriters, you know, like uh, you know, Rogers and Hart. I really love Larry Hart's um, lyrics, and Rogers, of course, you know, just peed melody. He was like such a phenomenal melody writer. <laughs> and I remember reading an interview with him, and somebody said, "So, what comes first, um, the words or the music?" And Rogers said, "The check." So you know those guys, and it's like you know, and Bert Backrack tells tells a story about you know the the afternoon in which he wrote you know anyone who had a heart and uh, walk on by you know the afternoon in which I wrote <laughs> you just see hey good afternoon Bert you know like and. And they're, you know, and, and, and it's he and Hal David and they're, you know, and they're somewhere. I don't think they were in the building. I can't remember what building they were in, but they were in one of those studios and it's like, you know, they're surrounded by other people standing at pianos, someone with a pen and paper and someone at the piano and, and they've all got little record players in there and they're playing songs from the top 40 and the publishers are going, you know, let's write a song like this, blah, 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 um, and I'll see you at five o'clock, you know. <laughs> and, you know, and I've always loved that idea, but I'm just uh, it's a mystery to me how, how it happens. You know, I'm a writer and I'm, I'm kind of slow. And I chatted with Robert from The Go-Betweens and he told me he's notoriously slow. And I asked him what it was like to come to the studio and, you know, there's Grant McLennan, a songwriting beast with, you know, 40 or 50 new songs. Um, I always wondered if that felt kind of daunting for him to be sort of, you know, uh, you know, your own progress as a writer bumped up against a guy who's just, you know, unstoppable. Yeah, yeah. Look, <laughs> Yeah, well, look, 
he was a very good filter as well for Grant because Grant had um, Grant was very prolific. I, you know, I'd have these situations with with Grant where you know he'd just sit there and and play at great volume and sincerity at me. You know, his latest set of masterpieces, and you know. You just knew that, that this was not going to, you know, the, these weren't really good songs, but, you know, his faith in them <laughs> was so great at the moment that, you know, there might have been something in it. But with, I think with Robert, it was like, okay, this has got to pass certain tests, you know. Um, so it was kind of a, the filter that Grant did not have was the filter that Robert had, and I think that's why it worked well for them. Um, yeah, those songwriting partnerships, things is that's interesting as well you know um yeah you know with great songwriting teams like grant and robert or you know strummer and jones or different and tilbrook um you know those guys had a synergy that informed each other and you know you can see how that works but when it's just you when when you're the guy and you have to wear the hat of the editor and the creator um that must be hard have you been able to do both, and and how is that? Oh uh, yeah, well i i tend I tend to lose a few along the way, and um, and you know what makes it onto an album is normally something. Well, no, if it's on the album, I believe in it. You know, so it's past that sort of test. Um, so yeah, and in this case, like I left some things behind, and I'm still not sure whether I I I will do anything with them. But it was also simply because it was such a good opportunity to 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 have that freshness that I wanted, you know, to be absolutely having things like that were not recreations of something, but were that moment and. Um, you know, and like there's a track on the album um, we talk through till dawn, and it's Chris um, from from the Necks, Chris Abrahams from the Necks, and I've played with Chris for like since the 90s. Um, he's played on, you know, this is the fourth Apartments album he's played on, and he has just he's uh, the Necks entirely improvise every night. So, you know, that's what he does, you know, 300, 300 I, I don't know how many shows a year they play, but they play a lot, they play a lot when they were, when they were playing, they played a lot. And um, he's a great song person, though, because, you know, he can, you know, when he was a kid, he listened to songs, you know, he may uh, extemporise and improvise all the time now, but he comes out of a song background. So, you know, I had that track and I took it to his place and I played it and I'm not a very good piano player but I played played it and he said you know like I feel like there's two ways that we can do this song we can do it the way that it's suggested and suggests itself to me immediately is this kind of spare elegant sati thing and he and he said but it also has a lot of swing in it and it's more like a Nina Simone it can be done like a Nina Simone sort of song and I said well let's let's hear it and he did that, and that's what we ended up doing. It we did it with the kind of swing that he felt um, uh, was in it that I couldn't play, the swing that I couldn't play. 
and then you know I've done this before with him when it came time to do the track uh, he said are you going to do your vocal at the same time and I said well why not you know so we do so you know the songs like three and a half minutes long so Chris does his piano I do my vocal the song's done <laughs> <laughs> So you know, yeah, stuff like stuff like that was uh, was would do, you know, um, just for the just for the freshness of, of um, the whole process, you know. I really, I really did like that. people who listen to this show are musicians and they're young musicians who are just getting started. And for them to hear that 
after all this time in the industry, you're learning new techniques and new efficiencies. Um, I think that's really instructive and really good for them to hear. I wish I could say that I knew what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> Or if I had a strategy, you know, but, 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 yeah, I, I really, I really, I really don't. Uh, but I do think that was a that was a, a good thing to do to to try to have something arise, as I say, you know, as I did with like no song, no spell, no madrigal, the title title track to have it arise there, you know. Uh, arise out of sort of wonder rather than you know a plan or knowing knowing where you were going. It was more like uh, this is going to come about because I don't know where I'm going. Um, so yeah, and I can see you know if you were a, if, if you were a band, bands tend to you know like for a start you know like Elliot the bass player he lives here in Sydney but you know. Antoine, who plays guitar, he, he lives in France. And Natasha, you know, as I said, is on the Belgian border. Nick, who plays drums, lives in London. You know, I get the band together when we tour in Europe, but I don't otherwise, you know, have that band uh, going. So, you know, it was different, like, um, you know, when, when I was younger and, uh, you know, had my first apartments, they were like friends that lived in the same town and, you know, they're all um, layabouts that did nothing like me, you know. So uh, we could just uh, <laughs> we could go and rehearse as much as we liked. Um, so you know, I, it's also a practical thing for a lot of people. I, I could recognise a lot of people wouldn't like to go in and not know what they were doing. They'd really, you know, want to know what they were doing. You know, I listened to the album and I got to I don't give a fuck about you anymore. And I thought, well, there it is, the greatest album closer. Uh, I've heard in recent memory. What a what a brilliant way uh, to end this album. And then I sat back, and then there was another song. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> it's a brilliant song, by the way, The Fading Light. Uh, how was the sequencing for you on this album? Was it very tricky, or did it present itself easily? Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I wanted to... I definitely felt like I would open... Uh, with Pocketful because um, in the same way as I opened No Song, No Spell uh, with with that title track, No Song, No Spell, you know, I like a song that sort of is there and it and it's more or less, you know, I'm not trying to please you. This is what it's like. This is the territory. Take it or leave it. You know, I kind of like that. So I always felt Pocketful was kind of going to be one of those songs to me it was one of it, it it should have been in it opened the album but then um but i also felt like the fading light was a was a closing um song and um yeah and it was sort of like because in some ways you know the characters that are in the songs float through many of the songs, but you know, in the fading light, I really had a sense of I was um, I wanted to look at some people who had a, a history and shuffle shuffle <coughs> scenes from the scenes from the past and the present, just shuffle them throughout the the song, and you know, have those images and lines just 
floating floating through sort of and you know have them start out driving in the in the fading light and have them ended end in the fading light and something happens you know th throughout sort of thing and I I had sort of had this image in my head and as it turns out it was like a complete misunderstanding someone I'd done an interview like way back um, in I think 2009 or something I did an interview in France and I was talking about La Nota the Antonioni movie and Somebody sent me then um, an interview with Enrico, uh, Enrico, uh, Enrico Antonioni, who was Antonioni's last wife, and it was in Italian. And I don't read Italian. I don't read any um, languages other than English. I read everything in translation, and and I read this story, and it, it just seemed like such a powerful story and as it turns out I, I didn't understand the story and the image that I had in my head was was wrong but that's that was sort of the source of the thing because I understood uh, what I thought I was reading was Enrica was saying you know as Antonioni was dying you know his eyesight was fading and uh, she he wanted to go and see the places that you know that had mattered so much to to them and to him and you know and they would pull up and she would just you know uh, they were just driving around looking at these places and you know um, everything was fading for Antonioni and she was just sort of talking about she'd talk about what she saw outside the window and you know he's got, just got his nose pressed up against the window and as it turns out like I was wrong about that you know they were doing that but but he could see everything, and um, and anyway, so you know, from from a complete misunderstanding. <laughs> but I loved the image, and it just you know, and I used to think about it a lot, you know, like these these people, you know, their their lives, you know, had there'd been so much had happened, and you know, they were in and out of one another's lives as well, and lots lots had happened for both of them, and I just liked the idea of shuffling the. The cards of their their life across this thing, but you know the uni unifying thing was that the lights were going out for him, you know, um, and they were going out for her as well because you know he was leaving her. Um, so yeah, it was just uh, uh, I was lucky that I misunderstood it. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, this may seem like a weird question, but do you think that your albums know each other? Do you think that? They, that it's sort of like there's a there's a kind of progression where they sort of you know one gives way to the next like you look at you know Antonioni uh, or Billy Wilder like you mentioned and in their work there's stuff that keeps popping up themes symbols images um, do you think your albums know each other or have relationships to each other or do they kind of seal up and they they work you know kind of independently of each other yeah yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. It's not so. It. I'm sure that's that's uh, true. Uh, but it's it's not so much a um, it's not so much a, a conscious thing as you know. I've got a very limited repertoire. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you know, in, and in some ways, I was, uh, I was, you know, I was making, 
I made an. Uh, I was trying to get a different sort of texture of experience into to, to this album than some of the ones that I've done before. And I was also conscious of the fact that you know, like, I I was when I made No Song, No Spell, No Madrigal, I never really made it as an album. You know, I never made it as a. It wasn't a career thing. It was just like I want. I have these songs. If and if I don't record them, then you know it's almost like the the life that they reflect upon is is lost again almost. And and so I I put those songs together. And I and I didn't know how I was going to get it out, but I just wanted to record them and I was kind of thinking, okay, I've done what I wanted to do and that's it and that's the end of that. But then, um, prob yeah, in, 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 some, in lots of ways, surprisingly, people responded to the album and then there was a sort of, um, and then um, there was an interest in, you know, hearing more from me. But I didn't want to, you know, do No Song, No Spell, No Madrigal Part 2 and I also had... Like that was a particular period of time, and it was and and maybe sealed off is not the right um, the right expression for it, but yeah, definitely something closed, and I felt like I had done what I wanted to do, and then I could stop. I wasn't, I didn't think I would do anything else, but I just happened to um, to have almost relit. Uh, uh, I'd never stopped writing songs, but I had stopped being out there playing them. Um, so I did think, oh well, I, you know, I do have these other other things that I want to say. And so, you know, um, uh, I was conscious of making a different album to to the last one. You know, in some ways, every album is is a, either a repute, it's a rather, either a continuation or it's a repudiation. They're not really repudiations of the ones that came before, but they, you just want to go down and say something, something different. Um, and, and, you know, if I look back at No Song, No Spell, you know, like <clears throat> definitely the title track, you know, the, the person in that song across the course of the song doesn't want to be that that person that's trapped somewhere and just wants doesn't want to be that guy anymore guy anymore and even even I think a song like um, looking for another town you know the person in that is you know he, the life that person wants is one where you know the steps go up and they don't go down you know and so you know they are they're all like songs about people looking for a way to live and to get through things um, and I just wanted to do um, a different, just have a different take on it, um, maybe. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how successful I've been but but that's what I was trying to do. I, was, I definitely did want to, you know, come to it in a different way. When I started to get into you guys in like 87, um, I was listening to the Triffids and to the go-betweens and Nick Cave. And I remember thinking like, wow, there's a lot of, a lot of really good poetry coming out of Australia. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, there was so much great stuff. And I mean, you know, you guys were contemporaries, right? So, yeah. um, 
when you were working at the same time as these amazing people, um, were you ever competitive? Did you ever think, oh, I got to I got to really up my game because those guys are are crushing it. Uh, Look, look, you know, it's interesting. Um, Nick uh, has no um, recollection of this conversation. So, you know, um, um, you know, it's but I do remember having a conversation like such a long time ago and he was saying something along the lines of, you know, your you know, we've been we've been building we, you know, we're, pl- we're working all the time, you know, we're writing all the time, we're playing all the time, you know, you, we, you know, this is the way you do it, you know, and you're just, you know, drifting along. And um, so I had a sense of, you know, there's a, there's a way to do things and I'm not doing it, I'm not doing that, doing it that way. And I mean, even so the go-betweens and the Triffids, you know, by contrast to me, you know, were extremely um, hardworking people and doing it, doing things right, you know, uh, I, um, and I seem to be a bit like, you know, the grass, the grasshopper, <laughs> singing, I'm singing through the summer while those guys are building up the store, they're the ants, you know, they're building up the stores for the winter and, you know, and, you know, what always happens in that situation is that the winter comes along and, and the grasshopper starves. <laughs> So you know, like career-wise, you know, I'm I'm the first uh, to admit I took the road less travelled. Big mistake, <laughs> kids. If you're listening, <laughs> but I skipped it. You know, look, there's a there's a way to do it, and the way to do it is normally, you know, write, record, release, promote, tour, rinse and repeat, <laughs> and, and you know, and do it every two years, sort of thing. You know, so I I didn't really do that. So um, yeah. So oh, also that definitely um, affects how I feel about things because I feel like you know it's 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 exactly the same thing as you know you know considering where I come from. You know, I'm I'm I feel very lucky that I do what I what I do. You know. Um, Given you know my, there's nothing in my family to indicate that I would end or ever end up doing this. Um, so uh, I feel exceptionally grateful that you know some somewhere in the world there that there exists a body of people that are interested in in the apartment stuff. Even though I haven't done the sort of career the career um, activities that you're supposed to do. Well, for a guy who's been stranded in the winter, you make it sound pretty glorious, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> you do. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, maybe I've got a you know, a, a line of uh, brandy and, <laughs> and a, sh- a chef in the kitchen or something. I don't know. It's a, yeah. <laughs> um. You know, I had a girlfriend once who read my poetry, and she said, "You know, your work is really, really dark, but in real life, you're you're a very funny, upbeat guy." Um, and that and that kind of threw her off a little bit. And I wonder for you, um, you know, your your work is is wrenching and gorgeous and um, intense, but but in real life, as you know, you and I are talking, you're a very genial. Uh, upbeat, friendly guy. Um, 
are you able to make the switch between the professional you and the social you, like when you're, you know, just hanging out with your friends? Yeah, um, look, I, I, um, I think I've always just, I've always been this way. There's a, cer- a certain, um, there's a certain, I really love sunny, upbeat music and if I had a talent for it, you know, obviously I would do it. I also, you know, think that, you know, happiness tends to not need any any music. Happiness is, is, is such a brilliant thing that, you know, it can exist in its own right. But I still really, I, you know, I do really like upbeat songs. It's just that I don't particularly have um, any talent um, for doing it. And maybe if I did, you know, I, I, I would be doing it. Um, but, you know, I don't, I, I, I think, you know, I had a conversation with, and Pocketful, um, which is the opening track of the album, kind of stems from this a bit. Um, did a show in Paris and this guy came up to me after it and said, look, you know, um, I've had your songs around um, for a while and, you know, people were always warning me that they, they were dark and, and he said, I've never found them um, depressing. I, fu- I found that I've been able to almost get a clue to keep going. There's, a, um, there's something about that um, in them. So, you know, um, there may be an aspect of um, some of the stuff which is um, dark, but other people have reacted to it in a in in, in a way that it's almost given them something to get them through a time when things don't work and um, and I think that in some ways that's what I was thinking of with with pocketful because certainly in my situation I remember <laughs> I remember going to um, a party it was a 50th birthday party actually you know um, it's funny that you mentioned you, you turned 50 before because I'd, I'd gone to this 50th birthday party and it was like, you know, 2 a.m. 2 or something like that and I was walking home with a friend of mine and um, and I had said to him, well, look, you know, this is what it's going to be like, you know, it's all it's all 50ths and funerals from now on, you know, and he's he's a really sunny kind of guy and, he's, and he said, but hey, not for you and I, Pierre, we celebrate life. And of course, I'm thinking, you know, you must be thinking of some other Pierre. But of course, no, he really was thinking of me. But you know, it's sort of like, you know, uh, that that does happen. You encounter, and certainly when my friends have been at the bottom of nowhere, you know, I may be the worst cheerleader in the world, but I've always tried to get them through it to see that there might be a way to reach the other side. You know. It doesn't stop here, you know. Um, you you may be out of the light now, but you know you, there is a way to get back in because if you don't, um, it's when you don't believe that. And you know, I know that it's 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 easy to say that to people, like, but it's when you don't believe that that you're in the worst trouble that there is. I mean, I know it's not an easy question to answer, but 
you know, in the theater, tragedy and comedy, they're on the same mask. So there really is a relationship, right, between the two. Yeah, and look, I just think so many of the things that happen um, to us, you know, the most significant things and decisions, you know, are made with almost so much sort of lightness, you know, there's 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 um, chance and choice, you know, uh, they sort of fight it out, you know, and chance, chance is a really big thing. I mean, you know, of of the people that you know that for for whom things went well, you also know people um, for whom it didn't go well, and there's nothing, there's no, there's you know, they may have come from exactly the same set of circumstances, but it's just like so much comes down to like almost the toss of a coin, and you know, um, yeah, again, I was thinking of that, you know, with like the people who end up loved and the people who end up in loneliness, you know, like that's there's no there's no um, way of working out how that happens, you know, um, it does often just come down to the toss of a coin, as simple a thing as that. Destiny comes down to the toss of a coin, you know, um, and random events. Um, yeah. I talked to Ed Cooper, and he said two things. Um, I don't think either of the things he, he said here are going to surprise you, but the first thing he said uh, was, if you're looking for cheery, you've called the wrong number. <laughs> 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 but I actually found him quite lovely. He was very, yeah. very sweet yeah, yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, no, but the no. second thing he said was he never felt, when he was with the Saints, um, very supported by, you know, the Australian journalistic community. Um, and I'm wondering what your experience is with that. Did you and do you feel supported uh, by the Australian media? Or what's been your experience with that? No, I never did. Um, and and uh, look, you know, some of that is down to the fact that I left, you know, um, my early 20s. And normally, you know, like the way this works is, you know, people do their groundwork in their 20s and they build up their audiences and they're playing and, you know, and then you're associated with a particular, with people, a time in people's lives like... Um, Lindy from the Go-Betweens um, has often said to me, but Peter, you don't understand. We were the sound of their youth, and their youth is gone, you know. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, you know, I, I, I also, like, I was, I was in the strange position of um, not ever thinking about doing anything in Australia, and when... When I had some songs, I, Jeff Travis from Rough Trade, I'd put out a single called um, All You Wanted, and he got in touch and he said, oh, I want to put this out on Rough Trade in England. And I said, well, you know, wait a second, you know, <laughs> why put out a single? I've got, you know, I've got lots of songs. Why don't you put out an album? And he goes, well, let me hear them, you know. So I sent him a demos um, for the evening visits. And he said, great, okay, let's, I'm going to sign you to Rough Trade, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I'm in England suddenly and 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 in England I have access to Europe so you know in in England you 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 can immediately reach you know uh, once once you've released something you can immediately reach 
you know, Scandinavia, Italy, Spain, France, Germany, you know, Austria, Switzerland. It's just like bang, 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 bang. So, so I was able to reach an audience, and also like there was a sensibility. There was definitely a sensibility there for the for the sort of sorts of songs that I I did. Like in Australia, the live thing, playing live in Australia in the 80s, which is, you know, when we're talking about I had the evening visits. That was a beer barn activity and the whole idea is that the band plays loud enough and people are buying beers all the time, but people can just, you know, be there, you know, beering on and talking and shouting and the band's got to be loud enough for that. And I didn't really want to do that, you know, like um, I want to do something at the level of a whisper, you know. I'm happy to do something really quiet, but I, I don't particularly want to play to a um, room full of beer drinkers, you know, like... Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, so I was... So I did kind of... I didn't have um, so much... You know, there were def definitely... There were some journalists in Australia that wrote... Um, good things about me, but I wasn't here. You know, I was away for you know my twenties, um, so I sort of missed that whole thing. So I don't really have a uh, everything that I do really is based around Europe, and you know um, that's that's essentially where the apartments audience is. And you know the funny thing about Europe is that it's multi generational. You know, you play always to you know, people in their teens, twenties, thirties, forties, you know, sometimes older. It just it just keeps reaching down. It's a very um, interesting situation. And that doesn't happen here. Uh, in Australia you, if you went to see a band like say Ed's Ed Cooper's um, audience or even the go between's audience, it's it's very much the audience is like the is the same generation as the the act sort of thing, whereas um, in in Europe it's it just reaches down one after another. I, uh, you know, we did a tour in I think it was 2018, and Kate, uh, my wife, was um, with me, and she was on the merch desk with Natasha, who sings in the band. Oh, that was in Lyon. That's right. It was in Lyon in France. This girl came up to the merch desk and just bought everything, everything by the apartments on the merch desk, and Kate and Natasha, I think, said to her, "Well, you must be a big fan." She said, "No, no, I'd never, never heard of the band. You know, this, my um, our girlfriend said you have to see this band. Come along tonight." So you know, so blah blah blah. Anyway, um, and Natasha said, "Well, you know, Peter will be coming down, you know, signing stuff. If you want to um, him to do any signing, anyway, you know, I come down. And I'm, I'm about to sign something. I see Natasha or Kate, you know." Waving to me, that because they told me when I came out, you know, was, <laughs> this girl came by, bought all the stuff on the merch desk, um, everything by the apartments, you know, blah blah blah. And um, anyway, so they waved to me that this is this is her, and anyway, but then, so she opens by saying, you know, um, I'm 25 years old and I regret every year of my life I've not known about the apartments. And I'm just thinking, well, you know. If I can get that on a T-shirt, <laughs> 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 
and you know, I'll get a photo of you and that line on a T-shirt, and you know that's going to be our merch. You can have everything on the merch desk. You don't have to pay for anything. Exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a hard one to top. It is, yeah. But, but yeah, it's so. There's, um, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's interesting. Looking back on your on your time in England, um, have you maintained your friendships with the bands that you were hanging out with back then? Um, I know it's a tricky business. I know it's hard to stay friends with people. Everyone's going different places. Um, but have you maintained your your relationships? Oh yeah. Well, I'm still, um, you know, I still talk uh, regularly with um, Tracy and Ben from everything but the girl, you know. Um, and you know, I caught. We did uh, some shows in London, and they. Uh, in 2018, and um, they came along, and then we, you know, caught up on the on the Sunday. So, uh, and I've got uh, friends from used to playing Lloyd Cole that I'm still in in touch with. Uh, uh, Micro Disney, um, yeah, yeah, just um, but uh, but here um, in Australia, you know, I. I will still catch up with Robert um, from the Go-Betweens and Ed um, from the Saints and the Laughing Clowns if I go to Brisbane, which is where they both live. Uh, so, yeah, I know I still have... And I see Lindy quite a bit because Lindy gets on well with my wife. Um, so, um, you know, I see the people from that, that particular um, generation of bands um, I see um, a bit, yeah. I teach college and... Before our semester started a few weeks ago, the big question was, do we do it in person or do we do it remotely? And, you know, there's a disease out there with no cure. So I think wisely the the college decided on, on us doing it remotely. Um, for you, as a musician who, you know, makes a living touring, um, how do you feel about stepping into a club again in the not-too-distant future? Where are you with that? Uh, well, look, I'm not going to do anything in Australia until uh, December, and our European tour has been deferred until October 2021. So, you know, we we knocked out September of 2020, then we knocked out February, March of 2021. And, you know, um, we won't be able to... Fl- I don't think we'll be able to fly unless by that stage there's there is um, a vaccine simply because you know you can't get insurance anymore for for travel or if you can you can get insurance but it's the same price as an airline ticket so you know like everything suddenly becomes a really expensive proposition and um, normally you know when when we um, leave Australia we we fly with Qantas because um, they give us you know, luggage allowances for guitars and stuff like that. If I fly with another airline, and Qantas cancelled all their flights through till July 2021, you can't get out of the country on Qantas, which is the national airline. Um, so, you know, I just don't think anything's going to be happening. I think the whole world is in this spell and waiting for the spell to break. Um, and, yeah, yeah, uh, here, um, schools um, went back, and schools have not yet 
um, proven problematic. Um, something about you know children, but I don't know about university students because that's a that's how that's like a a catchment group in Aust in Australia. Like that's a high risk group. People in the twenties, you know. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, getting back to libido. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I know that not playing live, not connecting with your audience in person is, is very hard. Um, but I'm happy to hear that you have, you know, a kind of um, a series of innovations that you've done that, that, you know, have sort of allowed you to see the recording process in a, in a totally different way and, and have allowed you to be, you know, pretty, pretty active in terms of being creative, having, having output, uh, it becomes something that you're you're sort of regularly doing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Well, I do. Ha I just have to do that, um, and yeah, the, and and just see what happens from that because it's yes, it's just everything's all the things that I expected to be doing. I'm I'm not doing so. Um, uh, it's kind of yeah. It'll be interesting to see what what comes out of it um, in terms of you know new recording um, but I'm not I'm, it'll be the same process you know it'll take me forever to do anything you know like it I spend you know <laughs> I spent a long time making this album simply because we were doing it in such a you know couple of days a week you know not not a massive amount of time each day um, but I'm, I'm yeah as I say I'm glad that I did it um, that way it did it, to me, it seemed to to work well. Peter, your work to me is is just utter magic, and this new album, it's mesmerizing and unreasonably beautiful. I just love it. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Oh, well, that's 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 um, that's fabulous to to hear. Yeah. Look, you know, I I I have. I did feel like, you know, ironically enough, you know, there's this track on the album called What's Beauty to Do? And it was, it essentially came out of me feeling like I don't do anything, you know, like I'm just, like, I'm I'm just, you know, I resist in all the ways that, you know, you should resist, you know, I, I participate in protests in the way that, you know, that might make it a, a difference, you hope. But... You know, the only thing that I can really do with any that I've ever done that's actually achieved anything is, you know, I I have tried to bring some beauty into the world through songs, you know, because I, I do, you know, I believe in that, you know, and it's definitely, um, it's worked for me. That's like a sustaining thing for me. Um, music has been and it's the same with um, um, books and movies as well but um yeah so i'm i'm so glad to hear that um you know it's uh, it's meant meant something to you as well before we go any any parting thoughts on on beauty uh our conversation makes me think of the elvis costello song all this useless beauty but i've been chasing beautiful women my whole life and <laughs> it's futile I know that, but I can't stop doing it. And uh, I wonder if you have any thoughts, not on that, uh, but on the ephemeral nature of beauty. Yeah, yeah. Look, look, um, 
Capuchin, um, who was a French actor who suicided in Lausanne um, in Switzerland. Lausanne in Switzerland um, uh, jumped from the eighth floor of her apartment building. Now she was, you know, an astonishing um, beauty and I'd read an interview with her in which she said, you know, nobody ever says to you, um, I'll be around, you know, um, when your beauty's gone. And, and I just thought, well, that's, that's definitely something, you know, there's something, there's something in that, in that, uh, it would fade. And, you know, how do you, how do you go on if, if that's been the sort of source of your identity and it was the source of her identity because she was, you know, she'd started out as a model and became an actor and, um, and then when that part of her identity was fading, she got into trouble. But it was also, you know, she never met anybody um, for whom that was not the, the most alluring thing about her. So, you know, when that started disappearing, she started disappearing. So, yeah, uh, I've got more cheery stories. <laughs> no, keep them coming. Those are the ones I like. But seriously, I mean, what you're saying makes perfect sense because we place so much value on beauty. Uh, whether we're beholding it or it's the the you know the beholdy uh, beauty is it's a kind of curse in the sense that it's not going to last and when it loses its power um, that must be a a very terrifying place to be. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, it definitely um, I think it definitely destroyed her. Um, yeah. Yeah, there was a there was just there was seemed to me such poignancy in that, you know, she'd never had heard anything about herself other than her beauty, and then and then it went. And I th look, I, and I do think some songs, you know, you hear them and they have an afterlife. You know, like you hear them and they're still with you even though you haven't listened to them for. Um, for years, they they have an afterlife, and they are they are still with you. And you know that is true of um, significant movies and uh, and books as well. I know that you know I've definitely was shaped by things that I've probably forgotten, but they are they are there. You know. the dean of the darkness and the light that is peter milton walsh of the apartments i love that conversation really nice guy really just a cool cool guy to talk to thoughtful smart genial funny charming all that stuff all the stuff i wish i was peter milton walsh uh he's uh, he's the real deal the apartments new album in and out of the light that's also the real deal probably for my money Maybe the best album of the year. Go buy it. Just go get it. Then you don't have to listen to me telling you to get it. You'll be one step ahead. And you can write me a note and you can say, I already have it. Shut up. It's great. Uh, where do you order it from? Well, 
You order it from – I'm going to pronounce this incorrectly. I think it's Tallytree Records. I don't know. T-A-L-I-T-R-E-S dot com. (laughs) I've really butchered it. I know I've screwed up the pronunciation. I apologize to all people who know the right way to say it. Tallytree Records. That's an American – that's a Californian very specifically uh, trying to pronounce French without sounding too French. Tallytree Records. Tallytree.com. T-A-L-I-T-R-E-S.com. And uh, when you you type it in, the S is not silent. Put it in there. Otherwise, you end up somewhere else. Go to my website, alexgreenonline.com. Find out what's going on with me. Uh, The book tour for Malraux and the Midnight Organ Fight canceled for the time being. Uh, But uh, hopefully, hopefully one day... I'll be coming to a bookstore near you. Get ready for some heavy October promotion of my book because it's a book about murder. And what better month to promote murder (laughs) or a book about murder, I should say, uh, than October. We're not promoting murder. We're just promoting books about murder. Let's make that very clear, okay? All right. Uh, Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use. Subscribe, tell a friend, leave us a rating, do it in any order that you want. We would appreciate uh, that power trio of tasks that we've laid out for you. Sorry for all the work, but it makes a big difference on our end. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Embers Editor. Follow me on Instagram at Embers Podcast, or just email me editor at stereoembersmagazine.com. Who do you want on the show? Who should I? Uh, bring back to the show who should i try to track down let me know and i will try my very best to get them on the program let's take a longer listen to the apartments track pocket full of sunshine thank you as always for listening to the program week in and week out i'm alex green and i'll see you next time right here on stereo embers the podcast only on bombshell radio he was a running spring Fresh hopes You wanted to marry And then you want to start living again If I could I'd put some blue sky In your Lamps on in every